and action. And it's just me today. Uh, some of you may know, may have already uh, uh, realized or understood, it's just me. So um, we noticed that last week um, because Neil is slacking off. Uh, that's the only way to describe it. He's slacking off. Although there is a stand-in, uh, and as you can probably see, there's a. Uh, this is Neil's um, Neil stand-in for for the week. It's uh, it's his alter ego actually. Um, it's a spurred animal, in fact. Uh, so we may get some comments from Neil's spurred animal. I'm not sure. Um, he's sitting on a book there. Uh, he's got uh, the Dictionary of Virginia Biography. Okay, so we'll probably have some interesting comments based on that this week. But, uh, uh, you know, in the absence of any com- <coughs> comments from Neil Spurred Animal, it'll be, it'll be just me. And also, as I mentioned last week, or someone in the chat actually mentioned last week, um, <coughs> if you have questions, I'll be happy to uh, try and answer them or give you a, 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 my opinion anyway on what, what, the, what the situation is. Um, so, yeah, we're basically talking again uh, about really <clears throat> I know there's other stuff other stuff that goes on um, in the world uh, has been other stuff going on in the world over the past couple of months and we've touched a little bit on them here and there but primarily over the past couple of months it's been obviously the Ukraine situation and, and what's going on there so um, I'm kind of focusing on that again this week because you know it's developing and it's kind of important, and it's kind of multifaceted. It's a multifaceted uh, situation. It's not just about, a, uh, obviously, just about a war in in Ukraine uh, or a Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's not just about um, uh, Russia and Ukraine, those two two countries. It's obviously much wider than that, and obviously we've talked about that uh, in previous shows, and uh, I'll flesh that out a little bit more today, hopefully. Um, so... Yeah, so uh, as as we mentioned, if um, or as I mentioned, if there's any questions, Scotty, you can uh, you can just throw them out at me uh, willy nilly. Don't uh, even if they're even if they're um, not top quality questions, even if they're uh, you know dodgy questions that you think the answer to is obvious, like they're do questions, you can still uh, still uh, still throw them out. All right. So far, people the they've expressed their uh, <clears throat> amusement and happiness at Neil's alter egos. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's going to have to come back next week. Uh, Neil will be back next week, obviously, but I think we're going to have to bring his uh, spirit animal back next week as well with him to provide some spiritual support. Uh, yeah. Now, now that uh, he's been introduced. So, um, anyway, uh, what's been going on? Um. Well. Propaganda, as usual, is par for the course. When it comes. Oh, we've got a question. What is it? BS wants to know, Joe, what is your spirit animal? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a really <laughs> important question. I don't know. I haven't actually investigated. Uh, I haven't, um, you know, I don't know who you go to to find out what your spirit animal is, but uh, maybe make it up yourself. But um, I haven't really thought about it. Maybe you can, maybe you can suggest some things and... Uh, in fact, maybe I need a spirit animal for, for, for future shows, so if you suggest, maybe give us some suggestions of what my spirit animal might be, and uh, we'll try and get one uh, to accompany me on the show to give me some spiritual support as well. Um, any suggestions yet? No? The fish. The fish is... There you go. 
been here all along, right, sitting right, right there. Yeah, my spirit animal is. Uh, I think this is it a salmon. I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a fish anyway, and it's for slapping people. So yeah, my spirit, spirit, my, yeah. My spiritual task in, in this life is to slap people with a fish, maybe. A, a hummingbird or a beaver? Who said that? A hummingbird. I bet that was... I, I tells you uh, says yeah, it's tells a you, hummingbird. Yeah, yeah. I tells you, yeah. <laughs> he, he's been trying to get me to have the hummingbird as my spirit animal and he even bought me something uh, to that effect. <clears throat> I had a little brooch, which I have, which is very nice. Um, I'm just not sure we could get a hummingbird that's big enough to, to display on the show here, you know. Uh, maybe you can. Maybe you can look that up, I tell you, uh, and see if you can get me a, a stuffed hummingbird. I'd say that'd be hard to get, actually. Anyway, uh, yeah, so what were we talking about? Uh, yeah, Ukraine, Russia. Um, propaganda, like I said, is incessant and has been from the very beginning to the point that most people who aren't paying attention or don't have a clue already have an extremely distorted view of what is actually happening in Ukraine, why it's happening, where it's going, because they've just been, I mean, we, we did a whole show last week <clears throat> uh, and we've done previous shows on, on a similar topic of Russia losing. I mean, the incessant refrain from uh, the Western media and Western governments that Russia is losing. Russia oh, is we've losing. got questions. Oh, God, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, someone suggested perhaps an owl as your spirit oh, animal. Like, okay, are there any questions that aren't related to my spirit shot? Yeah, there are two. Okay. Um, Bahar asks, Joe, do you think Yuki refugees will go back to their country once Russia has succeeded? Ukrainian refugees, well, some of them will, I suppose. It depends on, on, on what is what Ukraine becomes after this conflict because it's obviously uh, going to... The situation is such that when this conflict concludes in whatever way it concludes, um, Ukraine is going to be a very different country, uh, very likely a lot smaller than it is today. So it depends where those refugees come from and whether they want to go back to the country they came from because it, it won't be the same country and depends where they came from. So some will, <coughs> some won't, but I'd say depending on how long it takes a few, I mean, uh, it just depends on the person. Uh, I suppose if a lot of them that went to to Europe may find that uh, that Europe isn't uh, isn't the land of milk and honey that they were uh, promised or that they expected, and they're not being received. I mean, there's already reports from uh, from Germany. Uh, you may have seen them on Twitter and stuff of people uh, complaining about the behaviour of some anyway Ukrainian refugees. And I'm not saying that that's representative of all of them, but it's obviously not a it's not a good position to be in to be a ref, refugee in any country, and it's it's a it's a toss up as to how it actually goes for you and depends on your personality and all that kind of stuff. But I'd say the the ones that have gone to Russia have gone there willingly and had strong ties with Russia already. And if they're there for a year and they get settled, they'll probably stay in Russia. But obviously, some may, may go back to Ukraine. But I said, like I said, it, it depends on what Ukraine ends up looking like uh, when it uh, when all of this is done, uh, or what, yeah, what the world looks like effectively when all of this is done. I suppose because it probably is going to have global implications by the time it's all finished, and and, and the, the the ramifications of of what's happening right now in terms of energy supplies and all that kind of stuff are going to have ramifications or, or having ramifications and will have more serious uh, implications for, for Oh my Europe god as well. we've, we've, There's a Russian person <clears throat> posting rapid fire questions Can we just have one at a time? Yes, 
Okay, so next question uh, from earlier was from Jeff. Would you comment, opine, upon how to respond to people who are caught up in the Russia bad narrative and they're eliciting some kind of response, like in, you know, day-to-day conversations with people you know where the people are just, you know. Yeah. He clarified later. People are saying Russia bad and and how you respond to that. Well, I mean, again, you probably know this, Jeff, but it's probably – it's the situation is that whether or not the person is open has an open open mind. I mean, if they if they've decided on the Russian bad thing, which is purely uh, fabrication of the Western media and Western government, and that's all uh, that's all they know and that's all they want to know, then uh, there's no point in actually trying to explain anything to them. But if if someone has a bit of a if there's a chink in the in their in their consciousness, I suppose, or uh, it's it's a little bit open. Um, the the main thing to do would be to I suppose explain the the basics of it or, or or well you explain the Donbass and you explain you try and get them to understand that over the past you know at least fifteen years but I mean you could go back right back to you know uh, after the Second World War and the first Cold War uh, and the creation of NATO and what NATO was what the purpose of NATO was for and in, in those eighty years if you wanted to go back that uh, that far. Uh, the purpose of NATO was to <clears throat> effectively secure Europe <clears throat> for, I mean, ostensibly it was to, to you know, ensure peace within Europe, supposedly, uh, but it hasn't acted very peace- peacefully uh, over the past, let's say, 20, 25 years. Anyway, NATO hasn't, but that's because it was, since then, it was uh, primarily led by the US. And um, But the main goal of NATO, led by the US, was to control, uh, keep Europe away from Keep Europe looking west. Keep the um, Western Europe looking west rather than looking east and, and forming ties with, particularly with Russia. Um, so, uh, under U.S. leadership, that uh, has taken, you know, from, right from the very beginning, taken a very taken a very antagonistic approach, an aggressive approach against um, against Russia uh, in various different ways. And you can maybe explain those. You probably know them. The way that Russia has been demonized and Putin has been demonized over the past. Uh, 15, 15 years or so by Western governments, unfairly, unjustifiably, most of them lies. <clears throat> and, you know, how that led up to, you know, the, the, the overtake of Ukraine in 2014 in a coup. I mean, it depends on the, does the person you're talking to know that there was a coup in 2014 in Ukraine, a US-backed coup in, in Ukraine in 2014 that basically overthrew the existing government and installed an anti-Russian, pro-Western, anti-Russian government uh, in in Ukraine and let loose the the the, the, the extreme extremist anti-Russian forces within politics and within the military in Ukraine in, in 2014. Does the person you're talking to know that? Do they do that explain to them? Because the last eight years are really the, where it gets concentrated into uh, uh, kind of the worst of, of, of the, the threats and aggression against Russia and causing Russia to do what it has done uh, a couple of months ago, which was take action to... Uh, offset or prevent uh, the, the culmination of the plans that the U.S. have been putting in place uh, for Russia using Ukraine. Um, I've talked about that in previous shows where it's basically the plan clearly was to first and foremost invade Donbass, the eastern part of Ukraine, and cause massive death and suffering, and also try and ret- retake Crimea and that would have been just the beginning if they were successful in that they would have probably pushed across the border uh, into Russia. So Russia was facing a threat of invasion by extreme right-wing 
extreme right-wing elements leading the Ukrainian <coughs> military and in politics. Uh, and, you know, it was effectively an existential threat to Russia and it had to do something about it. Now, that's obviously completely ignored. It's not mentioned at all in, in the Western media, except maybe a little short comment that, 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 that serves to dismiss that idea as, as Putin's delusions or whatever, you know. But the facts of the matter are, you know, anybody who wants to appraise himself of the facts can simply look up, uh, look at the history and look at the plans that, have, that were in place that are, and a lot of them are being revealed now in terms of uh, information that's coming out of Ukraine of the plans that they actually had to invade Donbass, invade, retake Donbass and Crimea. And uh, there was no reason to assume that they, the Russians maybe had more information, but there's no reason to assume that they were going to stop at that point. But even if they didn't cross the border uh, at that point where they took, retook Donbass and Crimea, they were going to be a persistent uh, threat, antagonistic uh, entity effectively towards, towards Russia for the foreseeable future. And there's no country in the world would, if they're able to stop that happening, would, would just sit back and uh, allow it to happen. Um, but it's sad, yeah, it's sad that people don't know uh, that fairly, fairly basic history. And, but there's obvious reasons why they don't know them is because the Western media and Western governments steadfastly refuse or prevent them having access to that kind of information th through the normal channels. So you have to look to other channels in order to, to try and appraise yourself of, uh, of, of the actual facts of the situation. Anyway, that was a long-winded answer, but carry on. Okay, so next question from Zoya. She's the one who sent four questions. Oh, it's a corner. Sounds like a KGB agent. Yeah. Uh, her first question is: Please provide your take about what happened to the Moskva, the flagship uh, Russian destroyer. Mm. That smacks of first and foremost of a. I mean, it doesn't mean that Ukraine did couldn't have done it, but given that this is a war, a proxy war being waged by the U.S. using Ukraine, using Ukrainian forces. It's a proxy war uh, waged by the U.S. against Russia. Um, they, and, and, that, and that the U.S. is, is directing this war effectively uh, from within Ukraine as complete control over Ukrainian, Ukrainian government because, well, the government in Ukraine was installed by the U.S. in 2014. They have complete control over the, uh, over the politics, the political sphere within um, Within Ukraine, and they also, you know, by, by extension, they have control over the military because of providing all of the military know-how, all of the military um, technology, weaponry, etc., et to Ukraine. So the U.S. has complete control over it. So the sinking of the Moskva was, uh, you know, it was, it was a propaganda win for those forces, which is first and foremost the U.S. Uh, by extension, the Ukrainian, the Ukrainian government, etc. But it was, it was a propaganda win. Um, they planned it. They most likely carried it out because Ukraine does not have, did not have at that time, as far as I understand, any significant uh, anti-ship missile uh, technology. And um, the Russians knew that. And they were probably on a state of readiness that was proportionate to their understanding of the threat from the actual Ukrainian military and the kind of anti-ship uh, anti missiles or missiles that they had that could attack a ship and could defeat uh, the anti-missile defences that the Moskva had. So 
I don't know. I'm not going to say I know how exactly how it exactly happened, but um, it was undoubtedly carried out, probably by the U.S. by elements of, of the U.S. military slash intelligences, whatever, uh, from Ukrainian territory or even from uh, even from Romanian territory, uh, close to close to the border with Ukraine. Who knows? Uh, because either there's the border right there, and, and the Moscow is just off the coast, not far off the coast, maybe. Um, 75, 80 kilometers off the coast, south of Odessa, and you know, off the coast of uh, Romania as well. So they had ample opportunity to to target it. How they did it, I don't know. But they have the U.S. has fairly advanced, fairly modern, and even not necessarily not not yet um, in in active service. They have new uh, anti ship missiles um, that they that they could well have used. There's also a possibility that that the, it was targeted by more than just. Uh, uh, land to you know air missiles basically from land to land to sea, but um, they could have been targeted by torpedoes as well at, at the same time. It's hard to know because the Moscow sank. There's some very some evidence, some the, the, the few pictures we have. You could in, infer that, or you could interpret that the that at least some of the the damage was right at the waterline. Um, which doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't a, a, a land based. A land-launched missile, but it, it it could also be suggestive of of torpedo strikes. So, um, but it was you know the fact they haven't gone around shooting any other Russian ships, uh, uh, Russian military ships, suggests that this was a one-off, calculated, targeted, uh, you know, meticulously planned uh, attack in order to achieve a propaganda uh, coup, a propaganda victory uh, against the. Against the Russians, and you know the Russians took in their stride and just carried on. You know, and you haven't heard of any, you didn't hear of any at, at any significant attacks before that. You didn't hear any, haven't heard of any significant attack, attacks since. So, you know, what I mean, it doesn't. It suggests the fact there hasn't been any other Russian uh, navy vessels shot means that Ukraine doesn't have Ukraine doesn't have this uh, any significant ability to attack on mass or to attack, you know, repeatedly attack um, Russian. Russian ships, Russian navy ships. Um, so that strongly, in my opinion, that strongly argues for it being the work of someone with uh, with that ability, but only with the ability to do it on a one-off, one-off event kind of thing, you know. So yeah, there you go. Just yeah, and that's kind of <clears throat> that's. Uh, oh, I lost the question now. There's the question. That's a bit. Uh, you know, everybody looks at, like, Russia and says, oh, they're the only country with hypersonic weapons mm. and blah, 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 and that's pretty much true. The U.S. says, oh, we're testing them. Um, but you also have to remember that, you know, like, if, say, this was the CIA that did it or mm. something, like you say it was a one-off thing, maybe they had some dude on the inside, maybe they had some inside information, they, mm-hmm. they, they said, well, hey, maybe we can do this because we know they have this kind of system. Mm-hmm. They don't know, you know, defense, missile defense system on the, on the ship. They Absolutely. don't know exactly how it works. Yeah. And they go, okay, uh, you know, let's, let's like basically show them who's boss mm-hmm. here. Say like, yeah, we're, we're like the big deep state yeah. world global leaders and we're going to – and then people are like, well, why doesn't, why doesn't Putin respond and like, you know, well – Obviously, because he doesn't want to start World War Three, and all, what also saying. it's like if what Putin said is true, assuming that it's true, and that you know Ukraine has been uh, at least you know Eastern and Southern Ukraine has been kind of you know Nazis and this kind of nightmare scenario, then why did he wait eight years to go in? 
Mm. I mean, just because you have weapons, you have to manufacture a whole boatload of them. I mm -hmm. read something that said, you know, Russia's fired something like 5% of its missile stock. Well, they've fired thousands and thousands of missiles already. Yep. So, <clears throat> um, you know, from what I can tell of the way Russians work, it's basically they uh, they do everything slowly and carefully and methodically, and they're not going to fly off the handle, mm. you know, especially if they think it's a one-off thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, They're just I'm pretty sure go, they, okay. they read that it was a one-off thing from the very beginning. And the problem is that once you do that, you don't have the. It, it's like a, it's like the CIA or whoever, some some aspect of uh, military intelligence. Uh, the CIA has their own army basically and have had for a long time that they can pull on whenever they want. But them, uh, you know, they 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 do it. They do this one-off, and it's a propaganda move in order to sink the Moscow right, the Moscow ship, the the the, the flagship of the of the naval fleet. Uh, it's a propaganda coup. They do it once. The Russians obviously get wise to it, and then you can't do it again. Yeah. Right? Because that, that's part of the problem. And, uh, but this, it's, it's definitely, it fits, it sits, it's within the context of the, from the very beginning, the ongoing propaganda war that has been, that has been waged against uh, uh, the pro-Ukraine propaganda war that has been waged by uh, Western media and Western governments. Uh, from the very beginning, there's uh, like I mean they put out this thing about the ghost of Kiev, you know, and the Snake Island ship, right? Uh, fuck you, Russian warship, and then yeah. uh, we all died. No, we didn't actually. It was entirely made up. And the ghost of Kiev was like he fought, shot down forty, uh, forty um, Russian jets. One guy shot down forty Russian jets, and it's interesting because in the BBC, if you go to the BBC article there, um, the it was just. You know, I don't know why they brought it up today or whatever, but it's from two hours ago. How Ukraine's Ghost of Kiev legendary pilot was born. Now, that's kind of an interesting <laughs> an interesting uh, title uh, when you look at the actual substance of, of, the, of the story, which was that it was entirely made up. Uh, but the BBC says it was a, the legendary pilot was born. There is no legendary pilot, and he was never born. It was a fake story made up, probably... You know, in 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 the Pentagon or in the U.S. State Department, and given to the Ukrainians to to disseminate, and they disseminated it as part of the propaganda war. And they understand that that this propaganda war, information war, is extremely important. The reason it's extremely important is to to encourage to support the Ukrainian people, and more importantly, the Ukrainian military, in order to get them to keep fighting and and, and dying, throwing themselves like cannon fodder at Russian. Uh, at the Russian army, that's the, the, the. I mean, it fits with the whole idea of, uh, as the as the U.S. Ha, has has said repeatedly, uh, in one way or another, that they want to, uh, you know, that that, that they'll fight to the la the U.S. will fight Russia to the last Ukrainian, which is which is exactly what's happening. And as part of getting them to continue to fight to the last Ukrainian, they need stuff like the Ghost of Kiev, they need stuff like Snake Island, they need, need stuff like the like the sinking of the Moskva to give the Ukrainian people that kind of um, uh, support and a feeling that they, that they can win, you know. And that's why also, you know, they've been saying repeatedly, Russia's losing, Russia's losing, which is entirely false, but they keep saying it. But in this story anyway, it, uh, uh, if you just go down a little bit, it says it describes the ghost of Kiev. So basically the, the essence of the story is, on the third paragraph, yeah. But now the Ukraine Air Force Command has warned on Facebook that the ghost of Kiev is a superhero legend whose character was created by Ukrainians. 
We ask the Ukrainian community not to neglect the basic rules of information, hygiene, the message said, urging people to check the sources of information before spreading it. So like, what, two months, more or less, after they actually spread this information, now they tell people, listen, don't believe everything you read on the internet, uh, especially when we put it out there. Um, So it was used as a marketing brand by a Ukrainian model aircraft manufacturer while Ukrainian a person showed off a military badge inspired by the legend. So they're putting out, you know, paraphernalia associated with the ghost of Kiev and stuff. Scroll on down there, you can see a picture they put out someone on, on Telegram of, of some dude from like probably like 10 years ago, some Ukrainian dude in a, in a, in a, in a plane. Yeah, further down. Uh, that, that dude there. Um, and, and right underneath it, a Ukrainian military expert who requested anonymity told the BBC the ghost of Kiev story has helped to raise morale at a time when people need simple stories. <laughs> Ukraine's morale has, has also been boosted by the Moskva story. Uh, and then they mentioned the, the Snake Island uh, ship, under, the Snake Island um, story underneath that. Um, Blah, blah, blah. But the interesting part is at the very end, the last two, uh, the last paragraph, really, it, was, it stuck out for me anyway. Uh, Justin Crump of the security consultancy Sibyline. So I don't know who this guy is. Anyway, he says something interesting, which is, which is that the ghost of Kiev legend is important in our social media age. Is important because in our social media age, people need myths, heroes, and legends to provide cohesion and meaning. So, and that sounds like it might be true, you know, because, you know, myths provide meaning, but there's a caveat. Myths that provide meaning that are, that are positive are myths that are generally true, that convey a general truth about the human condition, you know, a story that, that is... You know, it's, it's a narrative or whatever, and it's a, it can be a bit fantastical, but it can be understood as being a, a, how it translates down to human experience and, and, and a, a lessons from, from the human experience and positive lessons, how to, how to overcome things. But that's not what's going on here, because the myth here about the ghost of Kiev is that this, you know, if, if, if you were to translate it into reality, it's that the Ukrainian uh, military and people are fighting a good fight against Russian aggression. And that's not actually true. That's not what's going on, as I kind of mentioned at the, the start of the show, and, and as we've mentioned in previous shows, that's not actually what's happening in Ukraine. So the ghost of Kiev as a myth is a fake myth and effectively a lie. So that, 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 that little quote from that, from that guy should be changed to that uh, rather than people need myths, he says that in our, in our social media age, people need lies to provide meaning. And that's what they're being given. They're being given lies that supposedly provide meaning, but they don't provide any meaning because it's based on a lie and it's not, rel- it's a, it's not um, it doesn't translate accurately to what's actually happening in the world and how, how things are going, how thing, what th- what are hap- what's happening and what is, is likely to be the outcome. That people, are, people are being led to believe that the Ukrainian military is fighting for all our freedoms, etc., etc. And this is being repeated by... Uh, has been repeated over the past two months over and over again by Western politicians. If you go to the... There's a Russian uh, Twitter link there, Scotty. Uh, it was actually Zelensky UA 
status. Uh, is that Zelensky? Actually, it's Zelensky. Sorry, I didn't even know it was him, but it's Zelensky's actual uh, Twitter account. And guess who was in war-torn Kiev just rolling along the streets uh, recently? It was our old friend, for the children, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, she went and met uh, Zelensky. Um, her and Adam Schiff actually just played there. So, um, yeah, which one do you hear what the Nazis are saying? Is a fight for everyone, and so our commitment is to be there for you until the fight is done. Nancy gets a medal. Nancy gets a medal as a hero of Ukraine. Wait, wait. For the children. For the children. For the children. She's doing it for the Ukrainian children. Um, so yeah, her. Uh, she. She. She basically is. Repropagating or propagating again that, that myth uh, of that there's a fight for freedom, that the, she's here to show support and offer all the help that they can in Ukraine's fight for freedom because uh, they're fighting a uh, fight for everyone. That the fight for freedom in Ukraine is a fight for freedom globally around the world, which again is false. Um, and that's a myth. It's a false myth. So it's a, it's a shit myth. <laughs> it's a useless myth. People shouldn't be subscribing to that myth in the same way you shouldn't subscribe to the ghost of Kiev myth. I mean, if I put, put myself in, in the opposite position, if I was, um, you know, a party to a, a conflict where the country I lived in was, was being invaded, I would not want to... I mean, I might, I don't know what I'd think about them propagating that, that myth, but I certainly wouldn't believe it myself and I wouldn't support it and I wouldn't propagate it myself. Uh, um, a, a myth, that, a, a story about what was happening in terms of you know the armed forces that I was a part of, or the armed forces that I was uh, supporting. Uh, I wouldn't want to spread lies about their their military success their, their, when that's not what's actually happening when they're being uh, generally defeated and stuff. You know, because like we said, or like I said, like me and Neil uh, Unicorn Neil said, um, the point of this, the point of this support to Ukraine, the moral support to Ukraine, is that right, Neil? The, Nod if you agree. Okay. Uh, the point of moral support to Ukraine is to get, uh, is to continue the war, to keep, keep the Ukrainian military fighting uh, for, as, uh, for America for as long as possible in America's geopolitical war against Russia, long-standing geopolitical war against Russia, and to sacrifice as many Ukrainian lives, both military and civilian, as necessary in order for, to, in order for America to, to achieve its aims of, well, attempting to, you know, 
put Russia in its place. Um, it's actually, I have a quote here. Uh, yeah, Lloyd Austin, who is the Pentagon, the Pentagon chief, uh, said recently, um, he was actually a Raytheon, he, was, he peddled Raytheon weapons. He was basically a Raytheon salesperson, sales executive, uh, before he went to the Pentagon, which is, you know, understandable. Uh, he said, I think... I'm not sure if it was this week or, or, or a little bit before, but he said, we want to see Russia weakened to the, to the degree that it can't do the things, can't do the kinds of things that it has done in invading Ukraine. So uh, that obviously extend, extends it out. What does he mean exactly by the kinds of things? What, kinds of, what other kinds of things uh, similar to Ukraine is America concerned that Russia would do if it wins in Ukraine, if it achieves its objectives in Ukraine and is seen to emerge victorious, uh, what other kind of things uh, is, is the Pentagon concerned about uh, that Russia would do? Um, I mean, I think, again, there's, there's more, more propaganda and disinformation here in the sense of the t- it, it would bring up the idea that, well, once Russia's done with Ukraine, it'll, it'll go to... Uh, It'll go to Poland next, or it'll go to the Baltics, or it'll basically invade other parts of Europe, which is highly, highly unlikely. There's, I mean, Russia has no intention, has never made any uh, statements to that effect, or any, or shown any inclination towards uh, invading or, or attacking any other European country. It was forced into attacking Ukraine, effectively, because, as I explained earlier on, it was it was put in that position by the US. Uh, so, next question is: Do you think conspiracy theories? The conspiracy theories are true, and there's a bio lab under Azovstal. Probably not. I no. mean, <clears throat> there's been plenty of other. There's lots of other bio labs were identified. I think thirty in um, in Ukraine were were discovered or revealed uh, over the past couple of months. So, I mean, I mean, it, it fits with the kind of uh, the the. It fits with the idea of biolabs, of deep secret underground biolabs. Maybe, I mean, you could go to like uh, human animal experimentation or creating super soldiers or something like that, do you know what I mean? Because there's all these underground tunnels, basically, and it's a vast area. In Alphastal, um it's possible, but I don't think there'd be necessarily any different from any of the other biolabs that were um, that were discovered in Ukraine. And um, I mean, we talked about that last week where uh, the... The information there was information revealed about what was going on in these bio labs in terms of and part of it was uh, one aspect was they were using birds to migratory birds to um, to try and transmit or to you know come up with an, a, a plan to transmit various pathogens attached to the birds that they would migrate migrate around different countries Russia any other country and then they would kill the bird and the the, the toxin would be released kill the bird with a chip or something like that you know so. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I don't, I wouldn't say so. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's any different from any of the other biolabs, basically, is, is the point. I think it was kind of interesting that, like, they had the, you know, there was, the, I can't remember where it was, it was a video or something, and they had a, I, th- I think it was on South Front, actually. Mm-hmm. They had a video that was shot inside Azovstal, supposedly, right? and they had a bunch of, like, they had a, a, a translated transcript of what people were saying, mm-hmm. and they were... There were like women and children there, and like one of them said point blank, like uh, I think I think she said, "Yeah, we were told that we were going to a green zone, a safe, you know, this to safe passage to get out." 
you know, to get out of Ukraine, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And we ended up here, and we haven't seen the sun in, you know, a right. month and a half or whatever. Yeah. So it's almost well, like it, it's they, – they knew they were going to fall back there because it's this underground tunnel. It's like an underground bunker type thing. But with all the other revelations of all the other labs, like you were saying, yeah. it seems to me like it's, you know – and, of it's, course, they, the Russians wouldn't want to go in and bomb it because – if they've got a bunch of civilians in there, right. then the Russians get blamed for it, and you know, it's it's kind of I don't know, it's sickening to to to. I mean, just over the past few days, they've been talking about Alvo Stahl and uh, in the media, in the Western media, and they've been talking about you know um, how I mean, they completely flip, flip the narrative all the time, despite the fact that they have the information that you know what, what the Russians have said. They flip the narrative and say that Russia is holding uh, won't let. Uh, civilians leave Avostal, which is completely the opposite of the truth, uh, and, and it's a truth that's uh, backed up by by evidence from other from the past two months in other parts of Ukraine, where the Ukrainian military, certain aspects of the Ukrainian military, uh, have been, you know, using human shields basically. So it uh, totally makes sense that the that the Ukrainian forces uh, hold up in Avostal would have taken, if they were able to, have taken civilian. Uh, civilians with them in order to ensure a level of protection because they know that I mean it goes against the whole narrative that uh, that's been going on for, for, for two months that Russia is is killing civilians you know in Bucha it's just slaughtering civilians left right and centre but then across the board for the past two months across Ukraine the Ukrainian military have been using either directly or indirectly human shields because they know that the Russian by implication uh, the clear implication is that they know that the Russian military is very reluctant to kill civilians. Why would you? Why would you have civilian shields otherwise? If you thought that your enemy, the, the Russians, were just had no regard whatsoever for civilian life, having civilian sli- uh, shields wouldn't wouldn't help you at all. So it's a tacit admission that they know that the Russians are careful to avoid civilian casualties. So the idea that uh, they won't let civilian casualties or, or won't let civilians out of uh, Avostal. Uh, is is false and in fact it it flies in the face of what the what the Russians have said, which is they want the civilians to leave Avostal. I mean, only civilians though they want only civilians to leave. And I mean, there's been a few have been um, released. The UN got involved recently, and there was a few dozen uh, were released recently on buses just yesterday and today, I think, or yesterday. But uh, the Russians are quite adamant that only civilians, i.e. On these buses or any any transfer of civilians out of Avastol does not include uh, Ukrainian military personnel dressed up as civilians. So yeah, anyway, that's kind of off topic in terms of the actual question. I don't think there's anything crazy going on necessarily in in in, in the underground bunkers, the deep tunnels under Avastol, other than it being used to, um, you know, hide a bunch of right wing extremist Ukrainian nut jobs. Yeah, the the flavor of that whole thing, like when when it first came out, it was like it kind of struck me as a bit like like the Q thing and it, it mm-hmm. it's like it's like why if Russia's announcing stuff like uh oh yeah, they're using birds to, you know, distribute, mm-hmm. you know, germs and whatever, vials of whatever, then you know, did they ever come out and say Yes, there's this super duper lab under there, and it's no, the center of operation. It, it was basically it, yeah. just kind of rumors that were right. spreading around the internet, and you're going like, "Well, is that true? Where it's did that come from?" It's not the kind from? of place you, know? you would put 
you know, uh, uh, I, I know it's a big area, but I don't think it's the kind of place where you'd put a sensitive uh, bio lab under a steelwork. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are thousands of people working there every day and stuff. I mean, it just doesn't sound like it's uh, plausible. Um, yeah, was there any, what were the other questions? Next one is, uh, what is your take on the two murder-suicides of ex-managers of large Russian companies? Uh, we talked about that last week, didn't we? Or did we? Oh, yeah, I think we did, actually. Um, yeah, we just, the conclusion last week was that, was that it's a dangerous business to be in. We don't know uh, the specifics. I mean, it's been, it was, we said last week it's presented as this is Russia, you know, assassinating uh, members of, you know, the, the, our, our executives of these um, oil or gas um, companies because they're not doing what Russia wants or what Putin wants or something like that but it could just as easily go the other way uh, where they're being taken out uh, for, for reasons that are uh, more relevant to Western the Western sanctions agenda basically so and yeah one of them was one of them was um, in Spain I think in Marbella a guy uh, and his fingerprints weren't on the weapon, that kind of stuff. But we haven't, I haven't actually looked into the details of it, and it's hard to hard to know in those situations. But it's it's a it's not a good business to be in right now, and especially if you're not um, you're not fully aligned with one side or the other. If you're somewhere in the middle type thing, you're you're in danger, basically. You know. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that one. That one. I was because if if they're oligarchs, let's mm-hmm. say, you know, I was thinking the other day. I mean, okay, yeah, we want to think that, you know, Putin is great and, you know, like you've got the FSB or whatever and, you know, Putin fully controls them. And, but, I mean, look at look at how it is in the West. You've got right. you've got a civilian government right. and then you've got intelligence agencies doing whatever Do the they want. Thing. There's drug, you know, drug running and money laundering mm-hmm. and all this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And, like, it could very well be that some secretive branch or or even the the more public branch of some russian secret service went in and knocked these guys off not because putin ordered it but because i mean for that you'd have to you'd have to know that you know is is russia like like most western countries where of course the intelligence agencies are running around offing people because they you know that kind of thing you know and one the one place like like was i think it was marbella in spain and that's like a hotbed of you know all sorts of uh, money laundering gangs and criminal gangs and has been for a very long time. There's been plenty of people who have been uh, suicided or killed or assassinated or whatever in that area of Spain and this, on the south coast of Spain for those specific reasons. So, I mean, it could ju- like yeah, a third option is it could just as easily be uh, some kind of a kind of you know gang warfare basically that people got uh, got on the wrong side of you know. But I don't think it's that significant to be honest. Uh, yeah, in the broad kinda. in the broad scheme of things. Uh, next question. There are a lot of cases of all kinds of large fires erupting all over the world. Some are natural, some are industrial, some are weird. Do you think it's normal, or is there a connection, or what? That's a really tough one. We talked again. We talked about that one last week as well. We detailed there was something like there were reports of like a dozen, and then there's other. You know, if you add them, add them together, there's something like sixteen or eighteen. There was one in the UK, a sausage factory in the UK. I think yesterday. <clears throat> it's super, super weird. To be honest, and I don't know if it's kind of confirmation bias in the sense of people, obviously people have been talking about food shortages, possible food shortages, seeing food shortages in, in supermarkets, etc. Uh, and that's in the air, it's in the collective unconscious, let's say. So whenever there's a fire in a sausage factory or a fire at a, at a, a food distribution plant, etc., suddenly it, it, it gains much more 
uh, importance, you know, um, in, in people's minds, and they notice it, and it gets spread on social media. Uh, we mentioned last week that these kind of things do happen uh, very often. I think in the US, it was something like a thousand uh, warehouse fires are responded to by the fire departments across the US uh, every year. That's a thousand of them. We're here only talking about a, a couple of couple of dozen, but it is notable that there a lot, of, most of them were food related. Is someone going around burning down food distribution, food processing, food production plants? Um, there's a lot of them <clears throat> uh, in the Western, in the world in general. Uh, for it to have a significant or any anything close to a significant uh, impact on the food supply, it would have to be a lot more. There'd have to be a, a wave of, of, you know, of, of, of these kind of fires or destructions of food processing uh, plants for it to really, you know, negatively affect uh, or to have a direct impact on the, on, on the food supply, I think, you know. But it's just, it's just I, I put that into one of those, I don't know, uh, almost like high strangeness or some kind of weird, uh, in the weird category, basically. And again, I allow for the possibility that these kind of things are, appearing in front of our, our our feed on social media because people are paying more attention to them when, uh, you know, and at all the times when those kind of things happen, people just go, meh, it was a fire in a, a fire in a sausage factory, big deal, a fire in a food processing plant, who cares? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's probably also, like, like we just had a thing yesterday, uh, I went to RT, and one of the top stories was 50% of the nuclear power plants in France are currently offline. Right, and I thought like, and then they mentioned uh, they mentioned the Goldfish two reactor, yeah. which is you know not far from here. Not far from here, and so I, of course, I did what all good engineers do. I I checked the the incoming line voltage on my my battery backup for my computer, and uh, it was low. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Friday into Saturday, you know, blah blah blah. It's they're, they they shut down this reactor, and it was because oh well, they're you know they built them all in like the seventies or eighties right. or whatever, and. They said, "Oh well, there, there, uh, there's like corrosion or something." And this is something that's been going on for uh, at least since last year. Was the first new mm-hmm. article in the newspaper, and so it's like you could stop and you could go, "Well, hang on a minute here." Um, you know, heating oil has gone up in price like almost double what it was last year, mm-hmm. and so you know that's taxing everybody's pocketbooks basically. And then on top of it, now electricity is getting expensive because 50% of the reactors are offline and, uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and you go like, okay, well, is this actually a a conspiracy or is this just a symptom of the fact that basically Western society as a whole is kind of falling apart? And mm-hmm. I mean, imagine everybody running around and they've all got their, their 52 booster shots and COVID vaccines right. and they're all losing their minds thinking that, you know, no, we can't define what a woman is because, uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, you see this in, I see it in like the tech world all the time. People like, like software bugs are worse. I mean, mm-hmm. have you tried to update Windows, Windows 10, like in the past several years? Like it, it just keeps borking everything right. far more than it did in the past because everything's just kind of falling apart. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that a lot of that is actually not part of some grand conspiracy. It's just kind of what happens when things mm-hmm. start to deteriorate. And so right. – um, I'm sure some of it is a diabolical conspiracy, but mm-hmm. um, I think things just, they're just falling apart. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good explanation for a lot of stuff, actually, things falling apart. But of course, you can question why things start to fall apart, you know what I mean? Yeah. But and you just mentioned some stuff there, yeah. Um, and there's probably a whole, probably a whole big long list you could name. 
It's a process, yeah. It's an ongoing process of, of, of generalized collapse, and it's not definable in that sense. It's a broad-scale kind of macrocosmic or macro-scale um, collapse, and it's, it's hard to, you know, when that starts to happen and it's, it's diffuse across the whole system, it's hard to uh, pinpoint cause and effect, you know, other than to say that it's a generalized food bar. Um, uh, here's a... Uh, oh, wait, let's do this second question first. Uh, Aeneas says, was it, was it also a signal to Russia that the U.S. will not let Ukraine surrender but will keep upping NATO support, which kind of ties into, like, the was question it? that I have, which is, you know, where is it going uh, in terms of, you know, you've got... You've got uh, Poland sending troops and they're all going to and Transnistria and all that stuff. And like, is it actually going to evolve into, uh, you know, basically NATO countries get involved? And I mean, obviously, that's impossible for us to answer. But well, what what was the question was, is it also is it also a signal? Was what also a signal? Uh, Was it all? I was thinking it was referring to the. well, was okay. It's just oh, it depends what it is. Maybe that question wasn't for us. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't for us. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Anyway, um, the point the point that people need to remember, and I mean, it's been said over and over again, and it's it's, it's become a meme. Like I mentioned earlier on, is that the U.S. will is willing to fight Russia uh, to the last Ukrainian. Um, Part, it's it's very possible that this conflict will expand beyond Ukrainian borders into Europe. To what extent it does that is yet to be seen. But it's 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 you know I'd I'd give it a a, a fairly high likelihood that it will extend in some way or other outside of Ukrainian borders, not into Russia but uh, in, into Europe. Uh, and the reason for that is that. And here's where you get kind of conspiratorial, although it's not really conspiratorial if you know your history. Uh, the U.S. wants that to happen. The U.S. wants the conflict to spread because it knows that it can only do, the U.S. and its NATO friends or whatever, but primarily the U.S., can only do so much uh, for Ukraine in terms of helping Ukraine militarily, economically, etc. And the sanctions against Russia aren't obviously working at all very very well. Um, so it, it knows that if it's if it continues on the current course, uh, Russia will achieve its objectives in Ukraine and will call it a win, and it will be a win. Um, and and Russia will Russia's standing in the world will increase uh, quite a lot <clears throat> as a result. And most importantly, its standing in Europe will increase because it, it will have seen it will have been seen to uh, been uh, that it was able to invade Ukraine, deal with. <clears throat> Effectively deal with the West, uh, deal with the U.S. primarily in Ukraine, defeat them despite their best efforts, despite despite the, the West's best efforts, they, they defeated them, and uh, in that sense, Russia's standing amongst, particularly European countries, will increase a lot, and that's a very bad situation for, um, for the U.S. because the U.S. has a long-standing uh, agenda has had a long-standing agenda really since uh, after the Second World War to, I think I mentioned this earlier, that to, to keep Europe <coughs> Western aligned, keep it aligned with the US and to stop it from, you know, aligning or becoming uh, increasingly aligned with uh, 
towards the east and primarily with Russia as a, as a major, obviously, I think the biggest country in the world with massive uh, energy resources. That's a big, big threat for the U.S. Because the U.S. You know, m- maintains relevance and maintains its global he- hegemony uh, primarily as a result of its, uh, of its capturing, I suppose, in a certain sense, you could say capturing of Europe, of Western Europe, after the Second World War and its, its you know, uh, Europe, Western Europe being effectively part of that NATO alliance and part of the Western alliance with the U.S. at the, at the head of it. If that was to break down, the U.S. would eventually be sidelined as a global hegemon and they really don't want that to happen. <coughs> so that's why they're really uh, insistent on, um, on on this Ukraine conflict. That's why you're seeing all the propaganda. That's why you're being subjected to all the propaganda, the pro-Ukraine propaganda, the anti-Russian propaganda, because uh, it's kind of existential for the U.S., in the same way that it was existential for uh, Russia, except that Russia's on the in, in the position of it, it's, it's, it's it's existential for Russia because Russia was threatened with an attack. Uh, it's existential for for America because if it doesn't deal with Russia in the way that it wants to, it faces the prospect of becoming a kind of well, at the very least, no longer the global hegemon and having its economy uh, shrink and contract, the petrodollar going the way of the dodo, and it, it all coming to an end for America as the as the global leader. Um, so they would like, and, and again, Europe is extremely important in that respect. It's vital in that respect of, of maintaining America's dominance in the world. If Europe goes east, then it's all over. So it might sound cynical to a lot of people, but um, America probably has a plan right now, like I said, that uh, that this war with Russia should be ex- ex- uh, should extend or expand to to Europe, primarily as a way to weaken Europe. Um, not to necessarily weaken Russia. They've probably figured that they can't, despite all the rhetoric, they can't do, they can't achieve their goals of, uh, what do they call it? Uh, we want to see Russia weakened to the degree that it can't do the kind of things that it has done. Um, they probably realize that, the clearer heads realize that they can't achieve that, that Russia is is on its own path now and it's there's no turning uh, and it's not going to be brought down in the way that they want to bring it down. Uh, so the the next option is to weaken Europe, basically make Europe more um, subservient, more needy, more dependent on the US than it is today. And you can do that by uh, facilitating the extension of the war in Ukraine to Europe. And it's bizarre that European leaders, some I don't know, they're just sleepwalking into this, basically. Uh, and it's not good. But, of course, there's lots of other things happening at the same time. That's a plan that they have, I think. But there's lots of other things happening at the same time that, you know, can could throw a, throw a spanner or a monkey wrench in, in the works type thing. Um, but, I mean, in that respect, the most, the most obvious one is, is the energy, uh, is the sanctions and the energy policies that obviously are being pushed by the U.S. on Europe to divest themselves uh, as much as possible, to the greatest extent possible, you know, Maybe not immediately, but uh, progressively cut off their their usage and reliance on Russian energy, and that has only one very clear, very obvious end result, which is the the kind of mothballing of large parts of the of of European industry, uh, particularly German industry, 
depends on the country and the reliance on on Russian energy. But I mean, the Russian uh, the Germans have been explicit about this. I mean, they've said like if we cut off Russian gas and oil, um, we're screwed. Like our economy is just in the it's in the toilet. It's going down. Um, but that's what you know. That those sanctions are obviously U.S. sanctions. Uh, they're being Europe is being blackmailed or interesting word blackmail actually because that's what uh, uh, <laughs> what do you call her Ursula von der Leyen the EU chief uh, accused Russia of doing by denying supposedly denying Europe Poland and Bulgaria most recently uh, denying them uh, cutting off gas to Poland and Bulgaria she could call that blackmail but it's actually the Americans who are effectively blackmailing Europe to force them to stop paying for Russian uh, energy supplies for Russian gas uh, and, and Russian oil. Uh, it's bizarre that she calls it. It's like, it's like if I have a product and uh, I sell it to people and you're my customer and uh, if one day you decide that you're not going to pay me anymore and I say, well, if you're not going to pay me for my product, I'm going to stop giving it to you. I'm gonna, you're not getting my product anymore. And your response is to accuse me of blackmailing you. That's the kind of thinking, and I mean, there's no other, there's no, there's no spin on that. There's no way you can spin what she said uh, to make it make any sense. That's literally what, what what's happening. Bulgaria and Poland, who had the, their gas supply shut off, at least nominally or officially shut off by Russia recently, she accused Russia of blackmailing Europe and blackmailing these countries. Uh, but the reason they were shut off was because Poland and Bulgaria refused to pay, effectively refused to pay for the gas. How is that blackmail? I mean, if you don't pay, you don't get. But it's blackmail to not to not get stuff for free. If you don't give me stuff for free, it's black. You're blackmailing me. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to even talk about this stuff because it's so nonsensical. You know, it's so idiotic. And but apparently, you need to explain these things to people because people will actually buy that. They'll, there's probably a lot of people out there who think today that Russia is blackmailing using gas and oil. Uh, in a manipulative, coercive way and blackmailing uh, European countries and blackmailing Poland and Bulgaria by cutting off their supply when the reality, the simple reality is that Poland and Bulgaria stopped paying for Russian gas. If you don't get any. What else is there to say? Other than it's blackmail! Um, Speaking of uh, the US and EU and crazy making, we have another question from Alejandro. Mm Mm-hmm. He asks, uh, what do you make of the recently launched Ministry of Truth in the U.S. and the EU? <laughs> do you think you'll have trouble, or is it more of a desperate attempt for control? The Ministry of Truth. The, uh, what do they call it? The official name of the disinformation? Yeah, Jen Psaki talked about oh, disinformation. God. I mean, they spin that. They're doing a similar thing in the U.K. They've got an online security bill that's passing in the U.K. or whatever. And they spin it as protecting people to make uh, all online discourse or all, you know, online, basically, people's experience online to make it as safe as possible. And they kind of spin that as primarily being, for example, against any kind of violence online or any kind of, um, you know, uh, manipulative or coercive you know, kind of abuse online, uh, online abuse or attempts to traffic children online or, you know, child pornography, that kind of stuff. Uh, they kind of spin it in that way, but they leave it open at, at the same time to be anything that's, that they decide is offensive or they decide is, um, is, is dangerous. 
dangerous to whom, who knows. It's weird. It's the kind of thing that you. What they're basically saying is that there's there's information that you there's speech or ideas that you will be able to speak uh, or talk about in a local bar, or local pub, um, or in your own house or with friends or anywhere publicly in person. But you're not allowed to say that online, which is kind of weird. Um, and of course, it, it it comes at a time when everybody thinks that Elon Musk is going to uh, save the world by uh, buying Twitter. Uh, of course, it doesn't matter who owns Twitter. Uh, if Donald Trump owned Twitter, it wouldn't matter because the bottom line is is that the policing of what actually appears on Twitter will be done in theory. Uh, according to the government, uh, will be done by the government. Uh, so they will be able to, they're the ultimate authority, and they will be able to sanction or suppress or prevent people from saying uh, certain things on on Twitter. And it doesn't matter who owns it. It doesn't matter if, if Elon Musk agrees wholeheartedly with your speech on Twitter. If the government doesn't like it, the government will force Twitter I, uh, and therefore Elon Musk to remove your your speech online. Yeah, that's yeah, what's going. For, it's been going that way for a very long time, obviously. Uh, but you, you have to understand when you have like social media and stuff. When you look at the history of Google and how it started, mm-hmm. Larry Page PhD thesis funded by DARPA. Like, why did Facebook become popular? Right. You know, why did Twitter become popular? Technically, Twitter was a steaming pile of crap. Mm. I always love telling this story. Yeah. Uh, Jack Dorsey, whatever, you know, wrote this thing in Ruby on Rails, and it was so so god-awful that they had to – when they, they got like $20 million in funding yeah. from venture capitalists, which we all know what venture capitalists are. And, of course, you know, in retrospect, you go, well, yeah, but how did they know – like assuming that there are like intel agencies that fund these things and give you this venture capital how did these people know that this would turn into twitter or that would turn into facebook and right. it would become a means of controlling people and you know um i don't think it really happens that way i think it just kind of you know they mm-hmm. they get an idea and they see how it goes and they throw some funding cuz it's you know for them 20 million 100 million Some whatever change. Uh, they throw some money at it, and then all along the way, you get the venture capital funding. But they're always they've always got their back door, and they're like, "Yeah, let us let us in here." And you're like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, okay." And the more you play nice with them, mm. the more money they throw at you, and the bigger you become. Right. And then people start seeing the application of it, even they themselves, the intel agencies, whoever, mm-hmm. and they. They keep throwing money at you. They keep they they keep their back door. They keep their control. They you know boards of directors. They get the other big wigs in, and suddenly you have a giant like you know multinational social networking corporation mm-hmm. that can say no. You can't say that uh, uh, you know what happened with the with the, the Capitol building and the whole Trump thing. And mm-hmm. you, know, you can't say that it was not a revolution, or you'll be banned. Mm. Or you can't say you know. It's ridiculous. Like I mean. I suppose it's just the spread of uh, what they perceive as the spread of information on social media compared to in person, right? In person, you can only say you're not going to speak to tens of, th- tens of thousands of people, right? Usually <clears throat> in, in person on the, in, the, in, the, in the town square, uh, although you can do if you, I suppose if you try hard enough, you can have, have, uh, have concerts and stuff like that, but, um, and if people want to listen to you. But on social media, <clears throat> it's, it's easier 
to, 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 to have a large audience and to influence what people think. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it just shows how, how the information war, as we've been saying, is, is paramount in these people's minds. You know, information uh, is extremely important because the information that is contained within your, in your head and how you see the world, the way you view the world, informs your actions and informs, uh, you know, what, you, what you'll, in any given moment, what you'll do or what you won't do or what you're, I mean, it doesn't change that much, but it's something even more intangible about it that I don't know if they're aware of it or if, that's, if it's important to them, but there's something even more intangible, it seems, than, than, than it informing your actions or whatever. It's just the fact that you don't believe. Uh, uh, I think it must be a group thing, basically, where they, th- they, they fear that if there's a, a, a large enough number of people in any country or in the world who have a certain idea about something, well then, and, and if that runs counter to what they want, what they believe or what they want people to believe or what they want to do, then that mass of people who believe the opposite of what they say will in some way stop them from being able to achieve what they want to achieve. It's, 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 a, it's, a, weird, it's a weird thing. I'm sure it has practical applications and they've, they've, they, they plan it out, they you know, game it all out type thing. Um, but a, a good example is the Ukraine thing where they, in that article about the ghost of Kiev from the BBC, the guy said explicitly, people need these, uh, uh, these myths, these beliefs, you know, lies basically, stuff that's made up that isn't reflective of reality at all because it keeps their, keeps their morale up. And the, the, the way that translates into a tangible reality is that in, in the context of Ukraine is that it keeps Ukrainian, the Ukrainian people supporting let's say, uh, the Ukrainian government, supporting the Ukrainian military, and uh, continuing to be anti-Russian. Um, and if they don't have those kind of myths, then eventually they'll start to, what, think differently about the situation. But the question there is, are they going to think differently because they're, they're no longer subjected to the quote-unquote myths and propaganda, and they can start to see reality as it actually is, and then they will take action based on reality. I, they'll stop supporting uh, Zelensky and Kiev. They'll stop stop being so anti-Russian. They'll get tired of the war. They'll stop supporting. They'll start to think that the slaughter of Ukrainian military personnel by Russians is is a bad thing, and it should stop. And America and Europe should stop, uh, you know, sending crap loads of um, of weapons to Ukraine to f- to continue the war. Um, so they want to stop that from happening. That's, that's the bottom line. If, if, if there's a myth, if they're propagating a myth that continues a war, it's not a very good myth. It's not a myth that anybody should believe. Um, so, yeah. Uh, go, to, go to Twitter there. I just... Kirby, an example of propaganda. Uh, Caitlin Durnboss. Um She's actually, Caitlin Durnboss, I don't know, I mean, there were other people posted this as well, but she's actually, if you, if you just, her, um, she's a Stars and Stripes Pentagon reporter, recently returned from Yokosuka Naval Base in Japan. Um, anyway, so she's a Pentagon reporter, um, but she tweeted this little bit from uh, a Pentagon um, press, I suppose, presser, by uh, John Kirby, who's the Pentagon spokesman. Um, and you'll... I'll just preface what you're going to see here by saying that John Kirby is a, an admiral, I think. 
uh, a former admiral in the Navy. Maybe he still is. I suppose he still are. Um, but since 1986, he's been in the PR department of the Navy. <clears throat> it's difficult to look at the... difficult to look at some of the images and imagine that any well-thinking, serious, mature leader would do that. <clears throat> so I can't talk to his psychology, but uh, I think we can all speak to his depravity. Barbara. <laughs> good show, John. Jolly good show. I mean, it's not people... You know, you don't like to turn around and say that the guy is completely faking that because it sounds like he's being an actor. He's actually deliberately pretending to be emotionally upset at images of, he's referring to images of you know, Ukrainian civilians, dead Ukrainian civilians, um, and, and using that then to talk to, it speaks to Putin's depravity and stuff, you know. Um, there's so many problems with, with that, with what he said there, apart from his in my opinion, acting and his conscious, deliberate acting is choking up a little bit, uh, is put on. And of course, again, I understand how people say, well, why, uh, why would you be so mean as to suggest that he didn't actually feel bad about those civilians? Well, he's the spokesman of the Pentagon. His job is to, at least in part, is to lie. And um, <clears throat> he has shown no remorse over the years for any of the U.S. warmongering or the slaughter of civilians around the world. So why he suddenly would be concerned about some uh, images that he saw of Ukrainian civilians in a war that he is playing a significant part in facilitating and perpetuating, and, and thereby perpetuating the role or perpetuating the death of, of, of those civilians that he's so concerned about, that's why I, I, I'm sceptical about his, his emotional choking up over, over that. Um, but also his suggestion that, you know, he saying that images of dead civilians, random dead civilians, who knows how they died. <clears throat> Obviously, yeah, in that sense, who knows if they died as a result of Ukrainian action or, or Russian action. Um, but he, uh, you know, he, he uses that to say that it's, that those images of dead Ukrainian civilians speak to Putin's depravity. As if Putin, you know, what, I mean, Putin decided that those civilians should be killed or something, or Putin himself killed them or gave the orders to kill them. You know, it's just so puerile and propagandistic that uh, it, I, I get choked up. Um, so I, I don't understand how... <clears throat> I, I want to ask people like John Kirby a question. Mm. Because I made the mistake the other day of going to CNN.com. Mm. And, I mean, I, I, I visit CNN regularly just to see what they're saying, you know. And the other day I went and I looked and it was like multiple stories of just, you know, the the Russians are horribly torturing everyone. Mm. Mm. Uh, I mean, everything that you've seen videos of Ukrainian soldiers with the, you know, the armband and everything and they're they're like, you know, shooting Russian soul, you know, mm -hmm. it's, they take everything and they, they flip it exactly opposite. Right. And every single article has a thing. Oh, this is unverified. This is, so they tell you this God awful, horrific thing, which is the exact reversal of the truth as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. And then they say, Oh, but we're actually not sure this is unverified. 
And this is what people are believing. And then they see John Kirby on TV and mm -hmm. he's crying or pretending yeah. to cry. And I'm going like, I grew up in, I think I was, uh, let's see, 1991. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, in high school when, mm -hmm. you know, Iraq, we're going to go bomb Saddam Hussein for right. the first time. And it was like, yay. No, but I mean, it, we were like, we were the shit, man. This was awesome. I man. mean, it, you could go in and you could, they could just rain these like cruise missiles. Yeah. They're so precise. And and they're, it was like shock and awe and all, and all this stuff. And so, I mean, this is what I kind of grew up with during my most formative years. So and many I, other so, people. Yeah. And In so America. I have to ask myself, like, that's how I grew up, right? And then I, if you're continuing to read the CNN stuff and mm. you're, you're seeing John Kirby on TV and you're, you're going, right, Such so... A sensitive man. If they're so all-powerful, like, why, why isn't, like, everyone in America, if that's what they believe, or at least the majority, why are they not insisting to John Kirby and other people yeah. that America go in there and save Ukraine? Yeah. They're like, no, no. Hey, Germany, we'll give you some weapons if you give your old weapons to Ukraine. Right. Or we'll sanction or we'll – so what – like in people's minds, what happened to like this all-powerful America, we can do whatever we want? Like, I mean, are their brains just that mushy or something? It's bizarre to There's me. not that, a lot of thinking going on. I mean, back then, no Pentagon official or spokesman would get on TV and weep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, <clears throat> yeah. What? But he's a Biden administration. The, the whole thing is just bizarre. He has to be woke, you know. He has to show some feels, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's. Yeah. I guess that's what it looks like when everything falls apart. Yeah. It looks like something may happen in Transnistria, just in case anybody's interested in Transnistria. It, it's, I mean, I can't predict, obviously, exactly what's going to happen, other than to say that the plan... You know the situation right now looks like, um, like that Russia will take, eventually, over the course of the next x number of months, that Russia will continue to. I mean, they're 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 really they've really kind of upped the game in a certain sense in 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 Donbass in the in the east, basically, where most of the the bulk of the Ukrainian military is has been stationed for quite a long time and was stationed there. Uh, from last year, well, before that, but really, you know, um, was concentrated last, uh, from late last year for a planned invasion of Donbass um, in March this year, um, which is why Russia invaded on, uh, in late February. But so most of the Ukrainian military is in, in the east, and that's where the Russians are focusing their, their efforts now. And it's, they're kind of dug in in proper lines because they were, planning to invade, invade Donbass. So it's a very different situation to what has happened uh, up until now where Russia has been advancing slowly. Uh, they had the feint up in, Ukraine, in Kiev where they drew troops away from from uh, the south and Mariupol to, quote-unquote, defend Kiev, but that was just a feint. Russia had never any intention of trying to take Kiev. It was a ruse, essentially. Um, <clears throat> and But up until now, they, they, they've been... Um, they focused primarily, <clears throat> let's say, on <clears throat> in the south, on in in Kherson and in Mariupol, and that's a big city. Mariupol's about half a million people. Kherson's about a hundred and some thousand, whatever. Um, and that kind of fighting again, the Ukrainians were uh, dug in really well in in Mariupol, as we've seen. Uh, so going 
the, the going was very slow in those areas because they're major cities. But now in uh, their, their, just over the past week, their attacks on the bulk of the Ukrainian forces along the kind of contact line in eastern Ukraine in, in, in the Donbass area has been, appears to have been much more devastating and they're really, uh, the Ukrainian military are really being um, hard, hit hard, basically. Um, and so the plan basically is to, I don't know, if you, if you look at a map you can see basically, but the obviously the, the, the plan is the complete... Um, liberation or taking of uh, the Donbass area, Luhansk, Donetsk, Mariupol is obviously done south and over to Kherson, right over to, to Odessa. So you've got most, pretty much all of the south coast of of Ukraine, all of the Black Sea coast and all of the east and then extending to some extent, to whatever extent, to one extent or another upwards. Uh, so you're talking about maybe a third of the country, uh, including all of the Black Sea coast, like I said, is is the plan to, to, to take that part of of Ukraine, um, there, it's possible. Don't know how how when I mentioned earlier about it, probably going to be the, the extension or the expansion of this of this conflict probably <clears throat> going to be facilitated by the U.S. or seems to be in the process of being facilitated by the U.S. One possible area that might happen relatively soon is in Transnistria, which is a little area of of little section, little line of Moldova. Moldova being um, mostly Western-aligned uh, small country on Ukraine's border and Transnistria being the, a small line of Moldova right up against Ukraine. Uh, it's possible that the U.S. will be directing the Ukrainians to, uh, to try and you know, redirect some or force the Russians to redirect some troops to, um, to, 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 to defend Transnistria, uh, which would obviously have a because if you look at the map of Transnistria, it's very small. It would very likely extend into Moldova itself, which isn't a NATO country. It's a NATO partnership program or something like that, but it would be the extension or the expansion of the, of, of the conflict, at least outside the borders of, uh, of Ukraine. Uh, Poland, obviously, is another... You know, it's, it's, it's just asking, <laughs> asking to happen because the Poles are... Uh, the, talk about sleepwalking disaster, you know. Germany, at least, there's some sanity amongst the German politicians and, and in France and in the Baltics and in, in, in the Nordic countries, still some sanity, but the Poles seem to be just... Uh, Poles are just being Poles, I don't know. Um, because most of the, most of the military uh, supplies um, to Ukraine from the US and European countries are coming through Poland, so Poland's really putting itself in the crosshairs. Um, if at some point in the future... Polish tanks, even if they've been nominally, you know, the Polish flag crossed out and uh, Ukrainian flag put on them, whatever. If there, if they, if there's Polish tanks that cross the border in significant numbers, or other military equipment starts crossing the border in significant numbers, you know, there's a chance that it could extend. Um, the conflict could extend to into Poland. Uh, I don't think the Baltics are really an issue uh, further north. Um, I would say Poland is the is the is the most likely place, uh, along with Transnistria and into Moldova, or uh, the most likely place where you're going to get an, uh, an expansion of this conflict. Um, yeah, the Germans like put up. Actually, I didn't send it to you. Um, put up. Just throw up this one. It's just from RT today. 
as an example of what I was saying, um, the the German Chancellor, you know, per Germany, like uh, Germany's super dependent on 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 Russian gas. Uh, it's it's industry would just be would just go down the tubes overnight if they if they even thought about cutting off Russian gas. Um, but you know, Germany has a long standing fairly you know friendly relationship with with going back to the second world war after the second world war with uh with with russia um so the whole history there as well um i, I think the kaiser wilhelm the second and or kaiser wilhelm and Tsar and, and nicholas they were cousins you know so 80 years ago the leaders of the soviet union and uh, or russia and um a hundred years ago, let's say the leaders of Russia and the leaders uh, and the leader of of Germany were cousins, were first cousins. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not saying that impacts today. I'm just saying that there's a there's a particular relationship, uh, you know, that's different from most other European countries uh, between Germany and uh, between Germany and Russia. But he just this is Schultz, and he's come under pressure for not, you know, even. Zelensky's been bitching at him about you know being too slow and supply of weapons and all that kind of stuff, and he's been you know he's been coming under pressure primarily from the U- from U.S. influences uh, within Germany. He's been he's been coming under pressure for the same reason. So Zelensky you know complains about Russia about Germany not supplying enough weapons, and internally the U.S. is saying the same thing to him, which means that uh, you know Zelensky is basically a spokesperson or a puppet of uh, of Washington D.C. But um, just down, down uh, four or five paragraphs. Uh, the Chancellor has previously insisted that he doesn't think it is justified for Germany and NATO to become warring parties in Ukraine and that Germany must do everything possible to avoid a direct military confrontation between NATO and a highly armed superpower like Russia. Well, no shit. But uh, you know, NATO, i.e. the US, uh, has other ideas. They have no problem with... Uh, Europe being in direct military confrontation with Russia because it would serve, at least they see it as, as serving U.S. interests in basically consolidating their control or giving them opportunities to consolidate their control over Europe. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and in doing so, he sent all these weapons. Uh, I think I was reading I think it was Germany. Uh, they have like no weapons left or something like they're sending so much stuff even america even the us mm. made uh <clears throat> there was something about they they uh, what is it stinger or javelin or something like that yeah. <clears throat> that they they've actually shipped so many of them over to ukraine that uh their stockpiles are becoming depleted and they said, oh, well, we can't actually make any more of these missiles, even they're kind of older and crappier because right. they're like 1981 era or something. And we don't have the proper components, so we'd have to design new electronics for the warheads, and it would be 2025 before we'd be able to manufacture yeah. more. Yeah. So even even America is actually like depleting – I mean obviously they're not sending like you know the best stuff they have, mm-hmm. but they have tons of armaments, and they're they're literally – and then they're telling other countries, send all of your armaments yeah, yeah. over to Ukraine so the yeah. Russians can blow them up. Yeah. How is that a good strategy? Well, it's good for the arms manufacturers. <laughs> good for the weapons oh, yeah, manufacturers. Yeah, for the weapons manufacturers. Yeah, for sure. They're but... very, very happy about it. You know, Throw up that Goodreads uh, thing just because it's on that topic. Um, 
This is Harry Truman, World War II, US president, talking about World War II. If we see that Germany is winning, we ought to help Russia. And if Russia is winning, we ought to help Germany. And that way, let them kill as many as possible. Although we don't want to see a Hitler victorious, Hitler victorious under any circumstances. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> that guy was crazy. Yeah, well, that's, that, that policy, that, 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 that idea is, is, you know, okay, it's 70, 80 years old, but it, it holds, it's exactly the same today. Uh, you just change the names, you know. Um, keep, and, and another one, the, the, again, in terms of NATO, you want to know what NATO's about? It's actually become, even by NATO's own admission, it has become the kind of defining, um, you know, definition or the definition of, 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 what, of what NATO is. Um, keep the Russians out, the Americans in, and the Germans down. Those are the words of, the first of NATO's first Secretary General, General Lord Ismay, when explaining the aims behind the new military alliance, as it was, as it was then back in 1958 or whatever. Keep the Russians out. The point of NATO is to keep the Russians out, the Americans in, and the Germans down. And he's talking about Europe here. So keep the Russians out of Europe, the Americans in Europe and the Germans down. And that, that, again, that holds true today. It's the same policy. It was you know, said in 1958, but it's the same policy uh, that's being pursued right now uh, in 2022. Um, and on gas and oil, uh, it's a big ruse. Again, it's hard. <laughs> so much about this conflict and about what's going on in the world today are is lies, manipulation, distortions. Uh, propaganda. I'll just say one word on sanctions. Obviously, sanctions haven't worked. Uh, the rubble, the ruble is not rubble, according uh, as Putin or as Biden uh, thought it would be. It's actually stronger than it was before the conflict uh, against the dollar. It's at, it's at a, a higher level against the dollar than it was um, before the conflict, before sanctions were imposed. Uh, and in terms of oil and gas embargoes, the only thing I'll say about that, and it's absolutely true, is that everybody is still buying. Regardless of what you're reading in the media and what you're hearing from government in the West, everybody who has been buying Russian oil and gas everywhere in the world is still doing so at the same capacity right now and will be for the foreseeable future. The, the bullshit is so damn high that they have no problem saying, yes, we're we're not buying any more Russian gas. We're not buying any more, any more Russian oil. When that's technically true, but what they're actually doing is they're buying it from a broker, basically. So, you know, this, say Poland and uh, Bulgaria, whoever comes on online um, with, with their, we're not buying any ga Russian gas or oil, uh, whoever comes online in the near future, when they say that, what they're actually doing is simply not buying it directly from Russia, from Gazprom, for example. They're, they're buying it from an intermediary who buys it for them so that they can officially say that they're not buying Russian gas, but they actually are because the money's still going to Russia. But most countries actually, in I think, well, not most, but 10 European countries so far have signed up to uh, the payment in rubles scheme that the Russian government has demanded. Um, Ten countries of Europe have so far done it. A few are still ho hold out, and, and that largely reflects 
the number of countries in Europe that are highly dependent on Russian, Russian gas and oil. Um, they're the ones who are saying, listen, we can't just stop buying Russian gas and oil. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, so they've opened up opened accounts uh, in Gazprom Bank, basically, and they're paying in euros or whatever they want to do, and then they're converted to rubles and they're paid to Gazprom uh, in, in rubles. Uh, and the reason, I'm sure everybody knows the reason that's being done, is because the, the accounts into which those countries who bought Russian gas or oil paid previously were in their own countries. So France, for example, buys, or Germany buys Russian gas or oil, and they pay Gaz, uh, Gazprom, the company, that the Russian company, they pay them into an account in Germany, in euros. And uh, Gazprom can use those euros that they get for supplying the gas. But since sanctions, all of those accounts were frozen. So Russia simply said, OK, listen, we can't get access to those accounts that you're going to pay us for our gas into. Uh, we can't get access to them because America says we're not allowed to, uh, and you've frozen them. So you have to open an account in Russia and pay us for the gas that you buy in, into an account in Russia where they can't sanction. And that's called blackmail. Anyway. Um, uh, we have another <coughs> question. Uh, this one is from Sasha, and he, asks, he says, uh, in the Balkans, NATO's been selling their old airplanes to states there and turning Serbia against Russia via Kosovo. Any comment on that? The Balkans, NATO's been selling their old airplanes to who? To states in the in the Balkans, I guess. Yeah. NATO's been selling their old airplanes to states in the Balkans. And turning and Serbia against Russia via Kosovo. Hmm. Yeah. Well, they're trying to turn Serbia against uh, Russia. And I mean, I don't have much faith in the... I mean, they're not bad, but I don't have much faith in the Serbian uh, leadership or Serbian politicians. They're ultimately their politicians. But um, the problem there is the Serbian people. Uh, the Serbian people are, ex- you know, decidedly, if it comes to, you know, if you, if you force them to choose, they're decidedly pro-Russian as opposed to pro-US uh, or pro, pro-Western, let's say. Um, so the Serbian, any Serbian government has a big problem in terms of taking, you know, enacting any policies or taking any political stance that is decidedly anti-Russian because it's absolutely not going to be supported by the vast majority of Serbian people. Um, so American can try all at once to 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 drive a wedge there or to to sow discord, but um, I don't think they're going to get very far. They haven't got very far in the last twenty years since they since or twenty plus years since they bombed uh, uh, Belgrade. It, it only made matters worse, you know. Um, so it's good to see uh, the Serbian people still have a good read on on what's what, you know. <clears throat> um, Funny, funny. She mentioned the Serbian, Serbian president. Throw up the Yugo, uh Twitter thing. <laughs> this is a Serbian president and uh, Orban, the Hungarian president. Um, it was uh, just a month ago or so. Um, an example of it reminds me of Kirby. Basically, it's it's in the in the in the context of Kirby and him choking up. Just play it there. Orban's like, We are an alien nation here, you know, all Slavs all around us. And then the Germans, you know, a very, very strange, unique nation. The thing is, that happens so often, and it just so happens that uh, in, in you know, Serbian 
TV or whatever, they, they, they got the wrong angle, right? You're meant to be like, you know, either he's meant to be in the seat in and or you're meant to angle it in such a way that you're looking in. You don't, yeah. you don't look, you know. Um, but that, I mean, you can imagine the amount of times that politicians anywhere around the world have done exactly that. You know what I mean? There's been, there have actually been videos of, of people, um, you know, waving, you know, politicians in America and, and in Europe waving at... Uh, are giving large speeches to what are ostensibly you know large numbers of people, and then you look at the actual crowd, and there's hardly anybody there, or they're waving at nobody. You know, um, well, this no, one this one is pretty uh, particularly funny because it was uh, they're uh, waving at nobody, pretending there's a crowd gathered to celebrate the new railway line. Yeah, when was the last time that anyone got so excited about a new railway yeah. line that yeah, they yeah. went out and waved at the yeah. train? I know exactly, but <laughs> if that's like, if that on angle, top of the idiocy of the politicians yeah. pretending that... If that know. angle was done better, I mean, you just see an image of him waving without looking at what he's waving at, you know, and you would think, oh, it's, it's, it's amazing how they... I mean, that's the level of, of detail and thinking and psychology they, that, that the PR people and government go into where, they, where they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have decided correctly, I suppose, that he needs to be seen to be waving to people are there, it, needs, it needs to be presented as if there are a lot of people out to see the president because yeah. they support him so much. He's not just sitting on a train, which would be boring. Right. He's sitting on a train, and not only is everyone so excited about the new line, but they're excited to see him because they love him so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. Um Oh, I've got another question. Uh, is the Nord Stream 2 now scrapped and abandoned for sure then? Or are they secretly no. continuing to develop the thing to bring it online a couple of years from now? Well, they're not. It's it's already, it's not just, it's ready to go. It was ready to go last um, September. It was done. Uh, Russia was ready to open up the tap space. It needed some certification process or whatever. But you notice, if, I remember thinking about it at the time, seeing this in September, uh, when Russia said, "Okay, it's finished, finished," you know the last details of 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 making it functional. We're just now waiting for certification, and then there was this process of, yeah, the Germans immediately said, or someone within in Germany immediately said, "Yeah, this is going to take quite a few months to certify," you know, and this is September, right? Before any talk of Russian invasion of Ukraine or whatever, somebody back then knew what was going on, and they because the way it, the way it happened where it was like, oh, delay, 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 and then cancel when they had the reason to cancel, which was the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, you, you, you backtrack that and you realize that in September and probably even beforehand, they knew um, that, that somebody had the intel and had the, the read on the situation that Russia was going to do something in Ukraine and that it was going to be, become untenable for uh, Germany to approve or to start receiving gas through Nord Stream 2. And of course, America was, has been behind all of the lobbying and pressure tactics uh, placed on Germany over several years, actually, repeatedly, to get them to, to stop Nord Stream 2. Um, because they don't want Germany, um, as the kind of industrial powerhouse of Europe, dependent and more, even more dependent on Russian energy. Because then, with energy and economic dependence, comes political dependence. Not dependence, but it's partnership. You know, they call it dependence, but it's actually partnership. I have money, you have product, I buy product. That's, there's no sub, there's no one in a subservient position in that relationship, really. You know. Wait, you mean like capitalism? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like the thing America loves. So, 
Um, but they call it uh, dependence and, and Russia using it to manipulate and stuff. And it was just a, basically a good business, good business deal. And they didn't want that to continue because with good business deals comes a, cl- comes a closer, or with closer business deals comes a closer uh, kind of political, cultural, etc. And that was all steps towards the, the worst case scenario for America where um, Europe decidedly went uh, went uh, went eastwards and uh, that's end game for end of the line for America and that's what they're fighting against basically and they're going to willing to sacrifice all the Ukrainians in service to their insane geopolitical goal to prevent a multipolar world from emerging and to maintain uh, the, their position as a global hegemon which is not possible to do so they're just going to wreck the place uh, it's the attitude of if we can't be top dog then no one can um, I think we'll just have a final word because I don't have much more necessarily a question a final word from um, no, there, the, are there more questions? well and if, if you want to comment on the French elections there are <laughs> probably rigged how's that? done rigged anyway <laughs> Um, yeah, there's the, well. I'll just mention one other thing. People, nobody, nobody brought up which, which is that Poland. There's talk about Poland annexing part of eastern, uh, western Ukraine, the Lvov area, basically the you know the eastern third, let's say, which is Poland's historical, uh, historical Poland. Right, it used to be part of Poland, or it used to be some, of, some of it used to be part of Poland. It's all very complicated, but uh, Russia would be very happy for that to happen. Uh, yeah, Poland, you go ahead. You have because, like, Western Western Ukraine is primarily is where the it's a stronghold of the right wing Ukro nationalist ideology. Um, and if Poland were to, in some way, annex it to save it, they would they would immediately have, or very quickly, they would have a Ukrainian nationalist extremist problem on their hands because they would see obviously the Ukrainian nationalists would see any kind of appropriation of Western Ukraine uh, to Poland as, you know, they're not going to believe uh, the anti-Russian or this is to protect against Russia narrative. They're going to see it as a, as a, as a you know, you're doing what Russia's doing, basically. And they would, you know, Poland would have a night. <laughs> Poland is just setting itself up for such a horrible, horrible situation. Uh, and it's, it's sleepwalking towards it, you know. Uh, it's like a train wreck in slow motion. And... I don't know what it is about Poles, but anyway, uh, that's yeah, that's going to happen. Uh, well, that's what might happen if that were to. I don't think it will happen, but there's been talk about it about Poland taking, basically expropriating or annexing part of part of Western Ukraine. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So the end, like I said before, Russia is going to most likely going to control about a third of. You know, and it'll be either incorporated into Russia or it'll be autonomous zones or whatever. Uh, but there'll be. Russian line. This is the very least, right? One third of Eastern Ukraine of the of the whole country uh, will be basically owned by Russia, and then um, the rest will the rump state, let's say, of of Ukraine will be well. Whoever it'll be Western. It'll be you guys can take care of it. Of course, America will walk away if if it, if 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 the dust settles and it's all over, and America has to accept uh, that that they couldn't do what they wanted to do in Ukraine. They'll walk away from Ukraine, except they'll they'll keep the debts on the book and and they'll screw Ukraine for the next. 40 years, basically, with the debts that they have incurred and are, are, are incurring right now. Uh, but Europe will be left to deal with, with that rump state of Ukraine. 
And if if they ever want to, if anybody has the will or the motivation to, like, you know, use that part of rump, that rump, rump Ukraine to invade Russia again, well, it'll just happen on Ukrainian territory because you'll have the eastern buffer zone, basically, that'll have been have been taken or controlled by Russia. Uh, if there's ever another attempt to do what they're doing in Ukraine now, what they plan to do in Ukraine, it'll it'll happen again on Ukraine, and it'll be Ukrainians against Ukrainians, effectively, or you know, with the help of Russia. So um, I think that's that's a good in terms of the objectives that Putin keeps talking about of 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 the special military operation in Ukraine. That's that would be a good outcome. That's that's probably the, the at least one of the likely scenarios is that about a third, like, like I said, of of east of Ukraine from the east will be um, Russian, basically, and that's a big enough buffer zone to and especially if they do that and they. You know everything. The dust settles. It'll be a win for Russia, and everybody will have been put on notice that you know don't fuck with Russia, uh, and and attitudes will change in Europe. But we'll leave a final word, I think, because it's getting on for two hours. I'll leave a final word for uh, President Zelensky. Um, he's you notice in this video he isn't in his. Um, Green fatigues, which is kind of interesting, you know, because obviously the PR department of the State Department of the Washington in, in Washington D.C. decided very early on that Zelensky should only wear that green, uh, you know, uh, fleece and the green pants, kind of like almost like camo, but not quite camo. Just average guy, you know, not the suits anymore that he was wearing beforehand. And he's just worn the same thing. If you see any video, in that video we showed earlier on of him meeting Pelosi, he's wearing exactly the same thing. He either has like multiple copies of that of that outfit, or he's wearing the same clothes every day. <clears throat> and it's bizarre, like someone decided for him that he should wear that, you know, well, you're gonna, he's going to have to wear that for the next year probably on every single appearance on TV. Every time someone sticks a camera in his face, he's going to, he better make sure he's got that green uh, kind of fatigues outfit on because it shows him as a man of the people. You know, he's not a suit anymore. He's down there in the trenches, you know, he, he's with his people, um, it's just more of the PR business or the propaganda aspect of this whole thing, which is about 90% of it, actually. Anyway, here he is. Before he was president, when he was still just a comedian, which he still is, really. But uh, he had some interesting things to say about Ukraine before he became president. It's interesting the changes that becoming president of Ukraine has on a person. Отцепитесь, отстаньте от них. На законном основании дайте им возможность говорить по-русски. Язык никогда не будет делить нашу родную страну. У меня еврейская кровь, я говорю по-русски, но я гражданин Украины. Я люблю эту страну и не хочу быть частью другой страны. Россия и Украина, мы действительно братские народы. Я знаю миллионы, я, я знаю тысячи людей, которые живут в России, замечательные люди. Мы одного цвета, у нас одинаковая кровь. He said that he said okay. that during this is so this is in the, this is maybe 2015 or 16. Um, so during the the anti-terrorist as they called it anti-terrorist operation in Donbass, where the Ukrainian forces were bombing and killing civilians in 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 Donbass, uh, he's speaking about you know in, in that context. Um, but why didn't that happen? Why didn't what he said and that leave them alone? Let's not 
uh, impose an anti-Russian language law in the country. Let's just have peace and let's uh, not be antagonistic towards anybody. Russians are our friends, Russians are our brothers. Let's just all live peaceably. Why, why could that not happen? Why, why, did that, why was that not the, the outcome of you know, the, the conflict in the, the, after the coup in 2014 and then the, the conflict that began in, in, in Donbass by the separatists? Why was that not resolved in the way that Zelensky there was saying? Well, because America and Europe are willing to fight against Russia to the last Ukrainian. And Zelensky seems to have drunk the Kool-Aid or something happened. Maybe he's just snorting too much cocaine since then. But anyway, um, it's a pity. But it's happening. And Neil hasn't said a word the whole show. I mean, Neil's spirit animal hasn't said a word the whole show. I suppose it's just because you were so enthralled, right? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. You're hanging on every word, dumbfounded, as usual. I know, I know, I know. It's hard. Um, but maybe next week you'll have more to say. you get your thoughts together. Um, anyway. So is that all? I answered all the questions, right? Yeah, that was it. Good. Um, yeah, that was it for this week. No, but definitely Neil will be back next week and it'll be good because, you know, it's kind of hard, um, hard, to, hard to be a one-man show here. Although I could probably get used to it, but... Um, there's too much talking. I like to have a break. Maybe if the unicorn had a beard, it would seem more natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's too, too, it's a lot of talking, especially for two hours almost, you know. Um, if I was ever going to do this on my own, I had to do it on my own. I'd, I'd definitely do shorter shows. Um, but anyway, thanks, guys, for watching. We hope you, I hope you enjoyed it. And thanks for the questions. They're all very informative uh, or useful questions. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we'll be, back ne- we'll be back next week with Neil, the real Neil and his spirit animal next week. Uh, and maybe I'll have one as well myself. Um, so thanks for, thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week, like I said. Um, until then, have fun. And smash the buttons. And smash all the buttons. Don't forget to smash all the buttons. Can't stop the signal now.